Acts chapter 27. Let me, uh, if I can, uh, quickly go right to the scriptures. I love this passage of scripture. And the longer we go in the book of Acts, the more I like it. The drama just really comes together. And the Apostle Paul, of course, is he has been released now from, from Festus there in Caesarea, and he's been given over to Julius. Julius is a centurion. He has a hundred. By the way, Chaz, good to have you back. He's in our United States Marine Corps visiting. Is that correct? And we're so glad you're back. You didn't get kicked out, did you? Okay, praise the Lord. That's good. Not yet. Listen to that guy. He's a real Shafalski right there, that guy. Thank you. We're so glad to have you back. Nonetheless, the Apostle Paul is, um, has been released to Julius. He's a centurion, and he has got not only him, but multiple other prisoners that he has taken from the western shores of, of Israel. Now he's going to make their way all the way to the headquarters of the Roman Empire, Italy, Rome, Italy. He's going to go, he's appealed to Caesar, and because he has his papers, and because he is a Roman citizen, he, uh, Festus backed him in a corner, and he said, I'll just appeal to Caesar, and Festus got himself in all kinds of problems locally and legally and logically to send uh, an accusation against him. However, it looks like to me, God was gracious to him. He had two fairly good years living in, a, in the palace there in Caesarea as a kind of a civil prisoner. And he was able to enjoy friendships and, uh, and lots of communion with people in that area. And Luke, it looks like Luke stayed with him. Aristarchus, one of the believers that got saved in the, book of Thessal or in the town of Thessalonica. And you'll see him. He is together with him and actually takes the same transportation. Whatever, uh, wherever Paul went, Luke and Aristarchus paid money to get on that boat and to go with them. And he was a constant companion. Those two guys watched. They went through, and they went through a terrible shipwreck with him. We find this morning, we learned a little bit about uh, the, uh, the, the leaders, the uh, Julius. They stopped at one port, and they even gave Paul, surprising to me, but he gave him liberty to go and visit his friends that he had led to Christ in that region probably many years before, and they were able to see each other and then came back on the boat and uh, they found a large Egyptian boat going to Ale from Alexandria full of grain, and, uh, and they had enough room to take on these prisoners. And so Julius paid for the fare for the prisoners, and they're making their way now to Rome on this very large boat. 276 people are on board, so it's no little thing. It's a, it's a large ship, and uh, they're coming. And they, they sailed for a while, took them a long time. What should have taken just a couple of days was longer than that. And they ended up in a place called the Fair Havens. And uh, it, was a, it was a place that would be secure for the winter if they wanted to stay there. But there was something about it they didn't like. It says it wasn't commodious for them to, to, to stay there. And they had uh, five things that made them to make a decision to do it. First of all, they had been there a long time. And ships that sit in harbor a long time don't make money. And the man who owned the ship and the captain of the ship, they wanted to get that thing out of that harbor, making their way to Rome to drop off the grain. And they had been there a long time. And they, they decided, you know what, we've been here a long time. And then it wasn't a comfortable place to be in. Money was on the brain. Compensation was, they were thinking, well, I, I will make more money if we get out of here. And then they started listening to the council. In the middle of their decision-making, Paul stands up and says, Sirs, I perceive if we get on this boat and we make our way to Rome, 
we're going to do it with great damage, not only to the lading, the grain, and to the ship, but also our own lives. And he had a favor toward him, but he said, but the captain and the owner said, no, we can make it. We can do it. We can, we can do it. And so the centurion believed the captain of the ship more than he believed Paul. By the way, that's oftentimes the case today. Uh, people will uh, take Darwin uh, over Moses. <laughs> They'll take a, a scientist over a saint that knows God. And we need to find ourselves, what does God want to do? Bad counsel can really mess up your decision making. Uh, making decisions out of compulsion can really challenge you. Making decisions only contemplating compensation or money, that'll cause you some problems. And the more part, the Bible says, most of the people said, let's get out of here. And whenever you find a majority trying to go someplace, you might want to consider, I think I'm going to go with the minority. Because the majority, large in part, usually are going the wrong way. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in it. But narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Most people are, are going against God, and, uh, and they're going a wrong direction. They have wrong philosophies, wrong directions, wrong destinations. And uh, the more part said, well, let's go. And then they had a favorable circumstance, a soft wind came. And they thought, oh, this is our time. Let's go. And they released from that harbor, and they took off with that large ship. I don't know where Paul went. Maybe he went down to his cabin. Maybe they had him shackled to the side of the, of the boat. I don't know all the situation there. But he made his way, no doubt, to talk to the Lord and, and to brace himself for what he knew was going to be a rough time. They would be on the water for at least two weeks. Fourteen days, they would not even see the sun, the moon, or the stars. And they would spend their time going on the, uh, this ocean and as soon as they got that south wind, they made their way. They ran into Euroclidon. It was a European storm, much like the storms that would come, uh, like into, into the Caribbean and things of that nature in August and September onto the Florida shores and onto the eastern uh, seaboard of our nation. There was a normal, there was a normal, they called it Euroclidon. And certainly it was like a cyclone or a typhoon that got out there. And they got into their situation in a bad way. With this mind, let's just look at our passage of Scripture. I want to make a couple observations and then uh, tonight to make a few other thoughts if I can. Begin in verse number 14. Not long after that soft wind blew and they thought they'd obtained their purpose, verse number 13, 14 says, A tempest of wind called Euroclidon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. You'll see here a reference to women drivers in this section right here. Um, I'm just preaching the Bible, brother. I mean, if it offends you, I want you to notice here, there's something a little interesting here. Verse 15, we let her drive. Uh, if you could see that right there. Look at the end of verse 17. And at the end of it, and so we're driven. We let her drive and she drove. And I want you to look at the bottom of page number 20, or verse 20. And all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. So... It's right there, brother. I just, I don't know. I don't, I'm going to preach the Bible whether you like it or not. Okay. Just joking, girls. Don't get offensive. Just messing around. But, uh, man, that's pretty clear, black and white. I mean, I just, you can see it all together there. Nonetheless, uh, they got out there in that storm, and they, they lost control. 
They lost control. They, and by the way, you can decide whatever you want to decide, but you can't decide the circumstances and the consequences. You can choose to be immoral if you want to, but you can't choose what happens whenever uh, you're immoral. It's a sin against your own body. You can choose to dabble in alcohol if you want to, but you can't choose what it's like to be a drunk. And you can't choose the damage that you'll cause your family, your relationships. You can choose to be a hothead and, and, and get mad and slam doors and kick dogs and, and, uh, and hurt people and yell and scream and curse like a sailor. You can do that, but you can't tell what's going to happen in your relationships as a result of that. And I, I just think that sometimes you go into a storm. We go into a storm, and they got into a storm, and they thought they were in control, and they could not control what was going on. So they just took in the sails and just let the, the boat drift. They just let the, let the wind, let the, let, the, let the storm take the boat. We just let her drive. We just let her go. Look at the next thing the Bible tells us in verse number 17. On verse number 16, And running under a certain island, which was called Clauda, we made much work would come by the boat. He said, we came under this island, and they could see the island, but they couldn't get through it. But it began, they began to work hard to try to get it to, 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 to sit still and to, to go. And, and effort began to become more needed. Which when they had taken up and used the helps, undergirding the ship and fearing, lest they should fall into the quicksands or get stuck in the sand or the mud there, strake sail, and so were driven. And we, being exceedingly tossed in the tempest in night, uh, in the next day, and they lightened the ship. They even threw some things overboard. They lost some very valuable resources in this storm. And the third day, we cast out our own hands the tackling of the ship. It's when they may have taken the mast down and thrown overboard. Some of the things that they would normally use to kind of manage the ship. Now it was, it was more important that that be into the, into the sea, that they could continue to maintain the ship. Very costly situation. Verse number 20, And when neither sun or stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us all, all hope that we should be saved was, taken, was then taken away. They had lost hope. But look at verse 21. Look at this and read it with me, would you please? But after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye must have hearkened, I'm sorry, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete. He said, Guys, I wish you to listen to me. I wish you to listen. How many have ever said that to somebody who you saw make a mistake? Yeah. How many had someone to say that to you? <laughs> yeah. He said, I wish you would listen to me. We should have never left. You know it now, and they knew it now. And, uh, but it's a beautiful thing. He did, he did tell them a little bit. I don't think he was smart aleck. I think he, he, it was obvious. He said, boy, you guys should have listened to me back when I told you something. And by the way, he's going to give them some more information. They'll need to listen. He's going to tell them later on. They're fasting for 14 days. He's going to tell them you need to eat something. And they listened to him. There's, there's going to come a time when some folks, the sailors, decided they were going to jump into the little raft boats and get out of the way. And he said, he said if they don't stay with us, we need the skilled sailors. Told the soldiers, if they don't stay, we're going to lose. And they listened to him. But here they said, I wish you'd listen to me. Look at verse number 22, if you would, please. And now I exhort, now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there, is, there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. 
And he says, look, you can cheer up because the ship's going down, but we're going to make it. The ship's going to, we're going to lose the ship, but we're not going to lose anybody in this, in this, in this, um, any passengers. Verse 23, for there stood by me this night an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, fear not, Paul, for thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. And uh, he, got a, he got a visit. How many have ever been visited by the Lord? Maybe not in bodily thirst, but he met you at a point of your need. Aren't you glad for that? I love, I love thinking about that. There's not many times in my life. I'm sure he's been there many times I haven't noticed him. But boy, there's been some significant times in my life, and I'm just so glad God was with me. I know he, he visited me. He came and he helped me when I was low. Talked to a man yesterday. He said, man, I was in a real dark place. And God visited me by sending me a friend that came at the time I needed him the most and helped me so much. And I've seen the Lord do that for me. I want to be that kind of friend to be used of God to help someone else. An angel of the Lord here speaks oftentimes of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's a messenger of the Lord, someone that God sends to help him and give him, give him information. He says, look, he's angel of the Lord whose I am, which I think it would mean the Lord, he's, he's God's and he serves him. Fear not, Paul, for thou shalt be brought to Caesar. You're going to Caesar, and lo, God has given them all of them that sail with thee. I wonder if Paul ever asked God, Lord, I know I'm going to, to Rome. Could you help me take everybody with me? I wonder how many times he prayed that. I think about that sometimes. I wonder how many of us pray for our friends, our loved ones, our, our neighbors, our family members. God, please, I'm going to go to heaven with you, but... Would you make sure that so-and-so gets saved? Think about George Mueller, prayed for many years. And even after his death, several of his friends came to know Christ on his prayer list. He prayed for years and years. I think some of them, over 50 years, he prayed they would come to know Christ. I think all of us ought to have a burden. And I, I, I don't know that the Bible doesn't say that Paul prayed, but he said, God, God told me, I'm going to go see Caesar, and the Lord's going to give you everybody on the ship with you. And, uh, boy, moms and dads, we want to take our kids to heaven with us, don't we? What's interesting is we spend more time messing around with earth junk than we do with our children. Expose them to the things of God. Keep them under the sound of the gospel of Christ. you got a mom and dad. you got neighbors. Pray for them. Say, God, give me my neighborhood. I've been so impressed with many of you who have won your neighbors to the Lord. I think one of our greatest uh, heroes in that way is Brother and Mrs. Cowan. They have been used of God strategically to win neighbors to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I meet with them at 6.30 on, on uh, Thursday morning. They're at a prayer meeting. And almost all the time, Brother and Mrs. Callan will say, please pray for my neighbor. Please pray for this person. Pray they'll bring their kids to Transformer Kids Club, wanting the, the presence of God to bring them to Christ. I was thinking about my neighbor today and asking God as I pulled away from my house, Lord, please, please let me see them saved like to have my whole neighborhood come to know Christ as our Savior. It's been a joy to lead a couple of them to the Lord, but there's so many of them that need it. And boy, neighbors are hard to win because they know you're not going to move. <laughs> and uh, they, they, they're, they're, they're a little bit nervous about committing. But oh, how they need the gospel. I'm thinking about the time my friend Roy, who was my neighbor in Long Beach, and I loved him. Roy and his wife are real sweet people. But it was in a hospital room. That, I, that he got sick, and I talked to him there, and I got to go to his living room one day and share the gospel with him, and he accepted Christ as his Savior. And I just remember how, and I, when I go see him, he goes, oh, John, I'll never forget. 
the time you came and you became a real good neighbor. You told me about Jesus. I'll never forget that. Boy, we ought to be faithful to pray that God would give us other people in our sphere of influence, your boss, your co-workers. It'd be sad to work with a guy for 20, 30 years, 15, 20 years, no businessmen, and not be concerned about their soul. Yeah, I think this is Paul. It's just he must have been really encouraged. He goes, Lord, I'm not going to let you, I'm not only going to have you stand before Caesar, but God's told me everybody with you is going to make it too. Would to God that we would have that same passion and intercession for others. Look, if you would please at the next one, verse number 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. You can cheer up. For I believe God that, that uh, it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, it must be cast upon an island. Everybody goes through storms. I go through storms. You go through storms. Nobody has a storm-free life. But here's a couple things I feel like I can learn from this passage of Scripture. Number one, storms are, um, they're, 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 they're not a respecter of persons. Everybody has some. Number two, storms are not always your fault. Some storms, most of the storms in John Wilkerson's life have been caused by me. I made some dumb decisions back there in the, in the port of Fair Havens. I did some things I shouldn't have done. I was impulsive or made decisions based upon finances or bad counsel or I wasn't comfortable so I wanted something a little bit easier or, or I just I leaned upon circumstances and listening upon uh, the Word of God. And by the way, in storms, a couple things you don't want to do, you don't want to silence your preacher. Not just me, but your Sunday school teacher, your spiritual leader. When you're in a storm, don't ignore your preacher. Don't ignore your, your, the Word of God. Don't get out of church. You get back in church. Don't leave. When you have a storm, get there. Stay in the boat. And, and don't silence your preacher. I would say also, don't blame God in a storm. If there's anybody that you, wanna, you want the help of, you want the help of God. And you need him. Don't, oftentimes people go through storms and all of a sudden God becomes the object of their anger. That's dumb. Don't do that. God is God and he is in the heavens. He does whatsoever he will. He owes us nothing and we can honor him in good times and in bad times. Don't blame God. It amazes me sometimes to listen to what I feel like are good Christians that when they get in a bad thing, what's God doing to me? Come on. It rains on the just and the unjust. He was good to you. Every sun ray you've ever felt on your cheek, every good food you've ever eaten, every embrace you've ever enjoyed came with the hand of God. And if something bad happens to you, once you practice what uh, Job did, and all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God, how? Don't be a fool. Don't blame God. Don't silence your spiritual leaders in your life. Don't say, I know what Brother Abdel's going to tell me if I talk to him. I know what Brother Mitchell's going to tell me. I know what my son's teacher's going to tell me. I know what Pastor thinks. Don't do that. When you're in a storm, you need those folks. And they needed Apostle Paul. It was one man on that boat and two other of his friends that knew the Lord. They knew, they knew, they knew, they knew the master of the storm that could fix all this stuff and could help them. And when you're in a storm, don't blame God. Don't silence your spiritual leaders. Don't bother with the little things. Don't battle the word. Don't get bitter. Don't bail out. Don't miss opportunities to witness to someone. You know, whenever you have a storm, one of the times I've, I've just been convicted recently because I get so frustrated with the political landscape of our country. Anybody with me or that or not? Oh, good night. It's just discouraging. But, you know, there's nothing going on in D.C. or Indianapolis 
that cannot, tomorrow I'll be in D.C. and visiting with some of our Indiana representatives, Lord willing, and on my way to preach in, in Greenville, South Carolina. We'll stop there for about five hours and go into the nation's capital to pray and to meet with some folks and ask God to help us in regards to that. But nothing going on negative in City Hall here in Hammond or in Indianapolis or Washington keeps me from getting the gospel to somebody. Nothing going, nothing, all oh, the liberals are just, let me tell you something, the liberals aren't keeping me from being a soul winner. There are still things that God wants me to do. He wants me to give aggressively. He wants me to pray fervently. He wants me to witness with some passion. He wants me to live holy. None of those people are keeping me from doing that. And I think we need to make, quit making excuses. And in difficult times in the storms of life, if you're having to go to a cancer ward and get chemotherapy, you can still take a gospel witness with you. Think about Brother Abdel, or excuse me, Brother um, R.B. Willette. I was uh, calling him almost every week when he's going through his cancer with his larynx, and he finished all of his treatments, and I would try to call him, and he said, Look, son, I'm not very good. He said, I barely witnessed two people this morning. I gave out 17 tracts. Here's a guy going through cancer treatment. Looking for opportunities to be a blessing. Miss Marcia here had an aneurysm and decided to make that aneurysm a reason for conversation to talk to folks about the Lord. Your storm, whatever it may be, if whatever, whatever your difficulty is, it doesn't keep us from being a witness in our storm. And by the way, very few things platform you and make give attention to you like, like what happens to you whenever you're hurting. And when you're going through a storm, people pay attention to you and they will, they'll watch your life and they'll start listening to your lips. I think one of the reasons a couple of my neighbors came to know Christ in Long Beach was they watched, they watched Linda and I and our kids go through a very difficult time of losing their son. They were stunned. They were stunned by the loss. I was stunned by the loss. I was hurt by it terribly. Linda was hurt. But we kept on being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it gave us a platform to talk to them. Remember one guy stopped me on the sidewalk. He said, where is your grief, Wilkerson? He goes, I lost a child too, man. I, I never got over it. You act like, you, like you're okay. I said, well, it hurts like all get out, but God's, God, I know where my kid is. <laughs> and I know I can't bring him back. I can go see him. Gave me a chance to witness to the fellow on the sidewalk. We had to look through difficult times and realize, don't, don't forget that. But trials are universal and storms happen to everybody. Some storms are not happening because you did anything wrong. When your mom and dad divorced, that wasn't your fault. Sometimes when people, when parents divorce, they think it's their fault. And that's not a storm you caused. Everyone, some, some irresponsible person will say, if it weren't the kids, I'd be gone. That's very hurtful to your children. Don't ever say that. But, but if that, sometimes there's happened, some things happen to you, maybe some, some selfish and some sensual or immoral person hurt you. It's not your fault. You have to go through the storm, but it's not, it's, it's not something you made happen. Some of you have financial challenges that came to you, but it, there's nothing you could do about it. You couldn't have worked another hour. You couldn't have done anything different, but it just came to you. There's a trial that's come to you, and you don't understand it. And there was no book of Job when Job was going through Job. He didn't understand all that was happening. You don't understand all that's happening. But when you do have a trial, when your loved one dies, or you go through difficult, don't, don't turn your animosity toward God. Don't get mad with him. He's been good the whole time. He's taking care of you. He's loved you. He's given you wonderful blessings. 
I was talking to a lady one day, and she was all upset. She's upset with God because her mother dies. How old is your mother? 79? <laughs> I said, how long do you think she's going to live? I don't know, but it's too early. I, I, I hate God. I wish she wouldn't even. I don't, I don't love him. I don't care about him. Well, I'm thinking, what are you thinking? We don't want to turn our animosity toward the Lord in storms. But some storms, are not, some storms can be extremely long. Most of my storms not been that long. Some of you have gone through some very long storms. Tonight, Brother, Brother Randy and Tina Rogers are watching in a 28-year storm that happened when he fell off a scaffolding and broke his neck and been a paraplegic all this time, a quadriplegic. It's been a long storm. There have been some good times. He texted me this morning. He said, Pastor, my Love to be in church today, but my battery's dead on my van. They know it's a malfunction of the people that did my van, but they'll fix it maybe this week, and I'll get back next week. But I'm glad I can watch it on live stream. What a sweet spirit in spite of a difficult time. Learn to understand that some storms are hard and long and unpredictable. They, they, have many ever been in a storm? You're just like, I didn't think it was going to happen like this. I didn't know that it was going to have this kind of feelings. And sometimes storms will bring, they're overbearing, and they bring about a time of, of just uh, like you want to lose hope. You like, feel like there's no hope. If you live long enough, you'll have those kind of storms. However, storms require some extra work. We find this situation, this storm, this bad decision, it resulted in, uh, in some extra work. They were, they were working at the ship, trying to row as hard as they could to keep it out of the quicksands and try to keep it away from the shores and away from the rocks. And sometimes when you go through storms, you do have to work a little harder. You have to dig a little deeper. You have to, to extend a little bit more energy. Some of you, sometimes you might know about this whenever you go through seasons financially where you're low. I remember a couple of years uh, in our time, and it's happened throughout our 33 years of being married. But there's been some seasons of feast, and some have been famine. And we have to really tighten our belt and do a second job or get something going just to pay off a bill that I didn't expect I was going to have or go through something. And sometimes they require extra work on our behalf. Churches go through storms. They require extra work on behalf of the staff and the deacons and the, the pastor and the, and the church family. Everybody does. Some storms require extra work. I think also some storms can be very costly. We can see that some storms, um, your dreams dissolve and your work is enhanced and your resources are lost. That's why you want to make good decisions. And I find that usually when God puts you through a storm and you trust him through the storm, he's like a Job story. He gives you twice as much in the end. He gives you many blessings. That's not always happens when you and I make bad decisions. This storm right here, it, it was very costly. They lost all the grain. They were throwing over the tackling of the ship. They're throwing over the mast. They're, they're sending whatever they can to the ocean just to survive. I've, I've watched men and women make bad decisions. They think it's, it's more important to look on their stupid phone for, for another pornography than it is to be faithful and loving to their wife and devoted and pure. People think it's better to go to the bottom of a bottle than it is to, to go to the bottom of a problem. People just, just flirtatious with other people, and they, they make their decisions, but it's very costly. 
I was reading with my boys the other day in the book of Proverbs. We read out as we drove out to Hammond Baptist. We read the Proverbs, and we saw all that the, that the young man lost whenever he chased the, 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 uh, the, the strange woman. All that he gave up. Put a blot that could not be wiped away. Someone else inherited his, his labor. Someone else was sleeping in his bed. Someone else was driving his car, chariot back then. Somebody else was t- enjoying the things that he had. Someone else was, was, um, was, uh, was uh, called dad by their children, by his kids. A lot of things that, that you lose whenever you go through a storm that's self-induced. We need to ask God to help us make good decisions. I wonder how many times college students have left college because of it's not comfortable. And they can't get back those decisions. You can't get back that semester. And you, you know it wasn't God who told you to leave. It's somebody else who told you to leave. And, and what happened during those situations? People left marriages. They, left, they leave ministries just a little too early. What's always too early to quit something God wants you to stay in. I find that storms demand faith. I love this because Paul got together and said, guys, look, I believe God. Don't you love that? Miss uh, Barb, Barb Burke sings a song, Lord, I Believe in You. And I heard our City Baptist young people sing it the other day and thought about her. But uh, I remember when I heard that song the first time, I was, uh, I was sitting over here in the balcony at a pastor school years ago. And boy, the, the, the roof was coming off this place as the little kids sang. Anybody remember singing that song? You hear you sang that song before? It's a beautiful song. I love this, but storms require you to trust God. You don't have to trust me. I don't have to trust you. Now, one place in the Bible says, husbands, trust your wives. Wives, trust your husbands. Matter of fact, it says better to put trust in the Lord than put confidence in man. But storms, especially if you don't know what's going on, you can trust God. I think it's very important. Every one of you, listen to me. When you go through a difficult time, it's very good for you to look into the heavens or bow your head and close your eyes and say, Lord, I trust you. Can you say it with me, Lord? One more time. Lord, boy, you need to say that. Because some things, the dots just don't connect, and things don't line up, and you're frustrated. You feel like you're working hard, you're doing the right things, and, and things are not coming. Stop, hold the phone, Joan, and say, hey, hang on a second. Lord, I trust you. I don't understand what's going on, but I trust you. I love this, the Apostle Paul said, I believe God. And by the way, his faith encouraged the faith of other people. In a storm, trust God. Believe him. Husbands, wives, occasionally when you're going through something hard, you need to look at each other and say, we're going to believe God in this. We're going to trust God in this. I remember the night, and I forgive me, it's one of my biggest trials, but the night when we found out that Tyler had gone home to be with the Lord by the San Jose corner, when I got the phone, Linda looked me in the eyes and said, he's gone, isn't he? And I said, he's gone, Linda. He's with the Lord. And I remember we hugged each other in the hallway of our little home at 2670 Magnolia Avenue there in Long Beach. 2.39 in the morning, I remember when they called us. We hugged each other, and, and we just hugged and cried and said, you know, we're going to trust God through this. We need to trust him. He was always God's. He was God's when, we, when he gave him to us. He's God's now, and God told him to take him home. We need to trust the Lord. And what, with your heartache, whatever it might be, in your storm, trust the Lord. Verbalize your trust. You know, that's how we got saved. If, when, if a man believes in his heart and then he confesses with his mouth, 
And uh, the just shall live by faith. And the Bible tells us, Apostle Paul, when I was pressed beyond measure, what I did, he said, I believe, therefore have I spoken. Psalms 116 tells us, I believed, therefore I verbalized my faith in God. So I think I'm going to tell you, Lord, I trust you. Just say it. So, Pastor, I'm having a hard time with it. Say it. Look to the heavens and say, Lord, I trust you. I don't understand you. What do you think Job said? Though you slay me, yet will I I'll trust you. Even if it doesn't go out my way, I'm going to trust the Lord. And he's worthy of our praise. And in a storm, we need faith. I'll give you a quick thought here and we'll conclude. But two, you're going to find that the Apostle Paul, they had gone 14 days, hadn't seen the sun. They have just given it to the wind. They're just, they're just floating out there. They're going about 30 miles uh, th 30 miles a, a day, 36 miles a day, it looks like, in this, in this storm. And they're coming near a, a property called Mylida or Malta. And they've been 14 days and they haven't, they haven't eaten. They're seasick, they're miserable, there's wailing, there's crying, there's weakness, and they're not eating. And the Apostle Paul tells them, he goes, look, guys, you need to take some meat. You need to eat some. By the way, when you're going through a trial, get to the Word of God. Don't run from it. Listen to messages on your phone. Listen to the Word of God. Turn off Fox News and turn off ESPN. Turn off something. When you're going through a trial, that's not going to help you one bit. Turn off your social media. Get that out of the way and forget your, forget your Facebook for a while. And get your, get your face in this book. And say, Lord, please. Let me keep reading until you speak to me. Book of Psalms, that's a good place to read in the storm. Talks about the greatness of our God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Read about him and talk about him and say, Lord, what are you going to help me with? I'll never forget the night I went through a very difficult thing and I read that verse in Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He have done whatsoever he please. Psalms 116 and verse number 5, it says, The Lord is gracious. He's merciful. He's plenteous in mercy. I think, you know, I'm thinking, oh, it's so bad to be me. But the truth matters, I had a God who was very good. Even in the valley, God is good. Got one more thought here, but I think I'm going to hold it to another time. I think it would be very helpful to us. Because they come to a place where the sailors, they drop anchor, and the sailors try to get off the ship. And I'll say this, and I'll say it again another time, maybe next Sunday. But I will tell you something. The skilled people that run the ship of First Baptist Church, let me encourage you to stay in the ship. We need the skilled servants of Christ. These folks, sometimes when bad things happen, the best of things come out and heroes are developed and sometimes the worst things come out. Let me just tell you, if you're thinking about jumping ship, it's not a good time to do it in a storm. Don't let that happen. Don't let that take you away. A lot of skilled sailors have taken, getting little lifeboats in a storm and gone off, and they've never been the same since. And I want to encourage you, if you are a skilled sailor, listen, some of us, we need to get back in the service of God. Stop just watching the life go by and say, God, please, what is it you want me to do? What can I do, even in difficult seasons of our life? Sure, have enjoyed visiting with you tonight. Let's pray together. Can we please?